Before we jump into the word today, uh, just another note for you parents. Uh, every week we put up coloring pages for the kids for uh, this segment of the service because it's hard for me to keep adults engaged, let alone kids. So we have kids coloring pages. And if you parents went to download those this morning and didn't find them, that's our bad, but we have fixed it. So you can go download those right now, print them out, and the kids uh, can color during the, during the message. So if you need to do that, go ahead and give it a second try right now. Sorry for the, the holdup there. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love about the Christmas season is all of the weird stories that are associated with this season. Last week, I asked you about uh, what's your favorite Christmas movie, right? And I know that half of the men out there said, Die Hard. That's the one that we men always say, that's our big, that's our favorite Christmas movie. And then all the wives say, that's not a Christmas movie. But it's this great, amazing story, right? It's very, very Christmassy. This guy is uh, divorced from his wife. He goes back to go to his ex-wife's holiday Christmas party for her company in this big high-rise building. And what happens? Well, the same thing that often happens at holiday Christmas parties. Terrorists attack the building. And when the terrorists attack the building, this guy alone can save the company, save the building, save the world, and save Christmas. And, and that is a Christmas movie, according to most men, because what says Christmas as much as blowing up buildings and shooting people in the face? So that's a pretty weird story to have associated with Christmas, right? Um, there's the one that makes you cry about the little boy who wants to buy some shoes for his dying mom who's dying a slow, painful death at Christmas. If that doesn't put you in the holiday cheer, I don't know what will. There's the, uh, there's the nutcracker where we have this nutcracker in the shape of a wooden soldier who comes to life to save everything by um, defeating the mouse king, the evil mouse king. And if that doesn't say Christmas, I don't know what does. And then there's, you know, cartoons. We got a talking snowman with a magic hat. We have a flying reindeer with a shiny nose. We got a grumpy old man who gets visited by three terrifying ghosts on Christmas Eve. I mean, what says Christmas like terrifying ghosts? Those are our Christmas traditional stories. Now those are some weird stories. But none of them is as weird and shocking and unfathomable and amazing as the true Christmas story. Nothing holds a candle to the craziness, the outlandishness of a story where an infinite God becomes a finite baby human. And that story was prophesied and summarized 700 years before it happened in the book of Isaiah. So I want to invite you to join me in the book of Isaiah. In your Old Testament, you're going to find Isaiah. And I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And, and today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 and John chapter 1, kind of going back and forth. So if you want to open to Isaiah chapter 9, it's, uh, it's uh, in your Old Testament. Uh, after Psalms, four or five books after Psalms, you're going to find Isaiah. So go to Isaiah chapter 9 
and join me in verse 6 with these familiar verses. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We launched a, a sermon series last week uh, for Christmas called The Name. And, and we're going to be focusing just on a few of the Christmas-oriented names that are giving to Jesus. I know you've read the Christmas story in Matthew. I know you've read the Christmas story in Luke. But we're going to go outside of those normal boundaries. We're going to go to the Old Testament and look at Isaiah. We're going to be in the New Testament looking at John and these sort of less prominent Christmas passages. Here in Isaiah, he focuses on the name and he mentions four names or four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Four different descriptions of God, all manifested together in the one person of Jesus Christ. Christmas is the celebration of the fact that God became man. It's what theologians call the incarnation, when God took on human flesh. Now, last week, we focused on the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the emphasis of that name is that how amazing it is that God actually became human. He wasn't merely like a man. He didn't just behave like a man or, or look like a man. He became a man. In fact, he became a baby. God took on a new nature and God became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. Well, that was last week. This week, we're going to turn the coin over, look at the other side of the coin. We looked last week at how amazing it is that God became man. And now we're going to turn the coin over and we're going to look at how amazing it is that man, that baby in the manger, is actually God. Fully God. That's Isaiah's emphasis. He basically says, listen, there is going to be this baby born in Bethlehem. And because he's fully human and he looks just like one of us, you're going to be tempted to not realize who he is. And so Isaiah says, let me make sure to tell you who he is. That child in the manger is God Almighty. So my hope this morning is that when you look at your nativity sets, when you gaze upon the figure of the babe lying in the manger, you won't forget what an incredible miracle it is that the babe is also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I said we're going to be in John chapter 1. Let's go to John chapter 1, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And, and join me again 
We, we covered this last week. We're just going to revisit it briefly because we want to get the theology of Christmas straight. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's read the first four verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, so he's telling us that this person who John calls the word was with God and is God and that he has always existed. In fact, nothing that exists came into existence apart from him. He is the one who created everything. This, this one who John calls the word is the creator of all things. And now skip down to verse 14, and let's pick it up there. And the Word became flesh. That's the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I love that last part. You should highlight that in your Bible. Jesus has explained God. The Greek word there for explained, or in some of your translations it might say revealed, it, it means to uncover. It is also, it's also used uh, to say to proclaim something or, or to reveal, to show something. It involves taking what has been hidden and exposing it. So when Jesus is born, when the word becomes flesh, nobody had ever seen God before. And what John is telling us is that in his day, when he laid eyes on Jesus, he laid eyes on God himself. So he's establishing this. And until we understand that, until we understand that Jesus is not just someone sent from God. Jesus is not some exalted angel. Jesus is not some um, messenger or some good works person or some healer or, or some prophet. He's all those things but more because he's actually God himself. And until we understand that, we're never going to understand Isaiah chapter 9. So let's get back to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. I think it's important for us today to take a minute to think about what aspects of God are revealed to us in Christ. So he gives us these four names and we'll just cover a couple of them today. But the first title or name that is attributed to the one John calls the Word in Isaiah's prophecy is Wonderful Counselor. Americans love a good counselor. In fact, honestly, Americans love even a bad counselor. 
Counseling is all the rage, and uh, I just read a recent uh, Barna poll that showed that at least 42% of American adults will admit, will admit to either having been in counseling or being in counseling right now. So it used to be taboo. It used to be something to be ashamed of. It used to be embarrassing to be in counseling. But over the last couple of decades, all of that has changed. Seeing a counselor has become commonplace. It is just simply something that healthy people need to do from time to time. It's not just something for messed up people. It is something that healthy people need to do from time to time. And that is a good thing that so many people are seeing counselors. It's a great thing. If your counselor is a good counselor, that's where we run into the problem because as some of us know from experience, a good counselor is hard to find. People get counsel all kinds of places. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to always just shake my head at the fact that this is kind of how it works in the world of teenagers. So, so you're an eighth grade girl, right? And, and you're having some tremendous crisis like a bad hair day or, you know, um, some boy at school didn't say hi to you in the hall or something and your world is falling apart and so you need some counsel. If you're an eighth grade girl, who do you go to for counsel? Exactly, other eighth grade girls. And that's where you're getting your counsel. We get our counsel from our peers way too often when our peers are just as dumb as we are. Our peers are just as messed up as we are. Our peers can be just as clueless as we are. Or take this other example. You go ahead and you make the appointment and you shell out 250 bucks an hour once or twice a week to see a person with a PhD after their name who sits in a leather chair while you sit on a couch and you talk to them and you pay them to be your counselor. They may be good, they may be bad, they may have wisdom, they may not have wisdom, but you know, you're just getting it off your chest anyways. Or... You could really shortcut that whole thing and just call the psychic hotline. And, and a lot of times, the counsel you get might be about the same, right? Not all counselors are good counselors. And a wonderful counselor, that's even harder to find. Unless you're looking to the babe in the manger. Unless you're turning for direction and comfort and help to Jesus. Jesus, John tells us, as you will remember, is the word of God. He's called the word. And that word, the Greek word, which is translated as word, are you following me? Word. Anyways, the Greek word translated as word is the word logos or logos or logos, depending on which seminary educated person you ask. Anyway, the point is, it's translated as word, but it, it really means logic. It's, it's the Greek word from which we get our word logic or reason. And the idea is that it's a declaration. It's an expression of wisdom. It's an expression of reason. It's an expression of truth. It's an expression of logic. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the word of God. He expresses God's truth in a tangible way. As John said, nobody had ever seen God before or, or heard God before. And yet, when they saw Jesus, he revealed him. He 
exposed him. He explained him in a way that was tangible, the way that words make ideas tangible. Listen, people are looking for answers, understandably. Not just now, but all, all the time. And as we deal with the, the, the pressures and the difficulties of 2020, it's even more necessary. There's a lot of people looking for answers. There's a lot of people looking for comfort. Many, many people are looking for hope right now. But most people will look for those things almost anywhere except for the one place where you're sure to find them, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. The story is told of an old preacher in the 1950s, and he was kind of a traveling evangelist. He would go from city to city, connect with the church. They would have tent meetings, and he would sort of preach to the city. And they would always put him up in the home of one of the families. And, and on one of these occasions, they put him up uh, on a farmhouse with the farmer and his wife out in the country outside of town. And somebody would come and pick him up uh, when it was time to preach. And so on that first night, the car came to pick him up and he went off and preached and left the farmer and his wife at home. And by the time that he preached and then had some dinner and then ministered to some people and made some visits and then got all the way back out to the country, it was close to midnight. And so on that wintry night, as the car drove away, he waved and he went to the door and turned the handle and it was locked. And he's standing out on the snowy night in the cold with no way to get in. So he knocked and he knocked louder and he knocked louder. He went around and knocked on a window. He tried the back door. He tried everything he could. There was no answer. There was no way for him to get in. And he was going to freeze. And so he decided, I better go find a neighbor. And he set out through the snow to go find a farmhouse somewhere nearby. But he didn't even know which way to go. And he walked and he walked and he walked. Eventually, he, he, in the darkness, he fell in a ditch, landed in water, was freezing. When he finally made his way to a neighbor's house, which was acres and acres away. And he woke those people up and he borrowed their phone because in those days, you had to go to a house and borrow a phone. He didn't have a phone in his pocket. And he called the farmer and the farmer woke up and answered groggily. And he said, you, you, you locked me out. I'm trying to get in, but I, I, I can't get in. And the farmer sort of wiped his eyes and cleared his mind. And he said, don't you remember I gave you a key? And he reached in his jacket pocket and sure enough, there was the house key. All the while, while he was struggling and stumbling and suffering and going through all this difficulty, he had the key in his hand, or really in his pocket, that would have solved the whole thing. And guys, I just want to speak to you now for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you something. You may be looking everywhere for answers, for comfort, for solutions, when you have the key. If you have Jesus, you have the key. Now, listen, I'm not saying counseling is a bad thing. And Isaiah is not saying counseling is a bad thing. In fact, the Bible says there is wisdom in many good counselors. But if you've been settling for counsel that doesn't reveal God and his word in a tangible way into your life, you've been settling for the wrong kind of counsel. 
Christmas, you see, is incredibly practical. It means that we have access to God's perfect counsel. And how does the wonderful counselor give us his wonderful counsel? I'm going to let you think about it for a second. I'll give you a hint. It's in this book. It's the word of God that gives us this wonderful counsel. He gives it to us through his word. So if you are hurting, and a lot of us are, if you're confused, if, if you're in need of comfort today, if you're in need of direction, I want to encourage you to turn to the word and find the one who is the word, the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. Now the second title Isaiah uses to describe the Messiah here is mighty God. And as I said before, that babe in the manger is far bigger than our little minds could ever really comprehend. These days, people are always trying to shrink God down and make him fit into a box that we could be more comfortable with. People like the idea of God, but they're not too keen on the God of the Bible. They're not too keen on sort of the way he presents himself. I mean, for example, we love to go on and on about justice in our society today. But most of us are not comfortable at all with the justice of God. We, we're not too happy about the fact that God has a high standard of righteousness. And so instead of worshiping God as he is, we tend to remake him into something that we're more comfortable with. So that he's not so tough on sin. So that the bar of righteousness is not set quite so high where we know we can't reach it. So that the road to heaven is nice and wide and paved and easy to travel. And we try to create a God like that. We don't like the fact that God is immense and powerful. And that he is sovereign and that he demands that we worship and serve him. Okay, no problem. Let's, let's just create Another God, a little g God. And we'll create this God in our image. And, and we'll create a God who um, is easygoing. And a God who uh, is here to serve us. Man, man, so much of the preaching that I hear today is preaching about how to get God to give you what you want. We created this false God who... who is here to serve us. The genie in a bottle God. It's the God of the 20th and 21st century in America. And there's just one problem with that. That is not who God is. It's not who he is. And so if you've created a God like that and you're worshiping and bowing down to a God like that, that's called idolatry. You're worshiping a false God because that is not who our God is. That child in the manger who is so cute and so helpless is almighty God, the creator of the universe. What did John say about the babe in the manger? In the beginning, he was with God and he was, is, and always will be God. He created everything. He rules over everything. He reigns over everyone. He is the light and the life, and apart from him, we can do nothing. Guys, 
I want us to draw near to Jesus. I want us to embrace him. I want us to be comfortable uh, approaching the throne of grace. I want us to remember that he's full of grace. But I also want us to remember who he is. Let me give you a biblical introduction to the babe in the manger. Isaiah speaks about this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. If you're already in Isaiah 6, just, or Isaiah 9, just go ahead and go to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm just gonna read to you this little glimpse of Isaiah's description of the one he calls wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Here's how he describes him. We're in Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the paths of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn or its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself skilled craftsmen to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. It is its inhabitants that are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless, Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. That is the babe in the manger, the mighty God. So what does Christmas mean? It means that your life is not about you. It's not about your wants and your demands and your preferences and your comfort and all of that kind of stuff. Jesus is the mighty God. It's at his name that every knee will one day bow. He's the creator. You and I, we're the creation. And yet Christmas reminds us 
that the word became flesh, not only to reveal him, not only to explain him to us, but to graciously offer us a saving relationship with God. I know you know about Christmas. I know you've undoubtedly seen the nativity scenes and heard the stories and sung the Christmas songs. You're familiar by now with the babe in the manger. But here's my Christmas question for you. Do you know about him or do you know him? Is he your wonderful counselor? Do you worship him as your mighty God? God became man. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But he didn't do it just so you could know about him. He did it so you could know him. And so you could be set free from your sin. Do you want to have the best Christmas of your life? I know you've been preparing for the worst Christmas ever. How would you like to have the best Christmas of your life? Here's how you do it. Submit to him as your mighty God. Run to him as your wonderful counselor. Come out of the darkness to the one who is the light. This Christmas, take the advice of the song and fall on your knees. And bow before the one who is the light of the world. Our wonderful counselor and our mighty God. Lord, we want to exalt your name, joining with all of the angels and singing glory to God in the highest. Lord, we want to confess that although we relate to you because you became one of us, we also fall at your feet because you never cease to be mighty God. We thank you, God, that we are not lost in hopelessness, but we can come to you, our wonderful counselor. And I pray, God, that in this time of year, in this moment of our lives, each one of us would run to you as our wonderful counselor, that we would bow to you as our mighty God, and we would experience you this Christmas because you made a way by becoming one of us. Father, may our Christmas be the greatest Christmas ever because of our relationship with the great and mighty God of the universe. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.